The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Welcome to Museum Life. This is Carol Bossert. I'm so glad that you've uh, chosen to tune in this morning. I have a very special guest and very special show for you today. Uh, recently, the American Alliance of Museums, the uh, national organization for museums and cultural institutions in the United States, uh, got a new CEO and president, and I am thrilled to have her on our show today. Uh, Laura Lott has been with the American Alliance of Museums uh, as the Chief Operating Officer since 2010, and as I said, recently became its new President and CEO. I know we're all very interested in hearing uh, Laura's vision for the future and for the Alliance. Laura, welcome so uh, very much to the program today. Well, thanks, Carol, for having me on the show. I'm excited to be part of the only talk show dedicated to the museum field, I think. Thank you. Yes, thank you very, very much. Laura, as I ask all of my guests, particularly knowing that many of our listeners are emerging uh, museum professionals, could you just share a little bit about your career trajectory? Sure, happy to. So um, I grew up in upstate New York in a pretty small town, and I was the first person in my family to go to college. I was kind of a classic overachiever and spent a, did everything there was to do in high school and, again, in my college years here in D.C., uh, including spending a year in, in Tokyo, Japan, as an exchange student when I was 15. Um, but I was also pretty practically minded and goal-oriented, and so I, I ended up uh, pursuing a business degree and a concentration in accounting. And shortly after graduating from college, I uh, uh, joined uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers, one of the major accounting firms, and, and pursued my uh, CPA, my Certified Public Accountant uh, Certificate. And with that kind of background, I could pretty much go anywhere, work in any field, and uh, I found my way to the nonprofit world uh, because of a couple of internships and experiences I had had in my college years that made me think that that was um, the nonprofit world was really the the best of all worlds and 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 an ideal place for me to both contribute to society and 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 feel you know uh, accomplished at the end of uh, at the end of every day. 
Um, so I've been in the nonprofit world pretty much ever since, um, and specifically working in education programs, mostly those with a global reach and with a strong emphasis on partnerships. So right before I came to AAM about five years ago, uh, I was at the National Geographic Society working one of their science education programs that uh, connected the explorers at National Geographic and elsewhere with middle school students to really inspire them to to want to learn science. Um, and prior to that, I worked in a, in a pretty um, high-tech corporate foundation program that was one of the early providers of Internet content for classrooms. So this is where I find my deepest passion for museums and their educational role, and, um, and why I ultimately landed at AAM about five years ago. Um, the, uh, seeing firsthand the importance of inspiring students and, and adults, too, um, and of providing real experiences to, you know, facilitate true, true learning um, is, uh, is the thing that I um, am most inspired about with, with museums. That's fabulous. That uh, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, thank you for sharing that. There are parts of that uh, story that that I did not know. Um, and I think that that it does show that you bring a not only a seasons but a very distinctive. Uh, uh, background, uh, particularly in understanding uh, the value of, of informal education uh, and science education, which is near and dear to my heart as well. Uh, that's that's fabulous. Now, you were part of the reinvention of AAM uh, several years ago. It resulted in a, a name change. I still have to make sure that I remember to say that w that uh, the organization is the American Alliance of Museums, not the American Association of Museums. Uh, same acronym, different name. Um, what can you just share a little bit about what is the what was the significance of shifting? from that association model to an alliance model. What does that mean to you? Sure. So uh, when I came in AM about five years ago, we were just beginning to implement a new strategic plan, and the organization was struggling quite a bit financially with some uh, membership either you know, flat or declining, depending on the category. And so the, the the changes were really driven by, you know, the, the strategic plan and a refocus on our core mission, which is to strengthen museums. And so Ford, Ford Bell at the time, the, the president at the time, and I discussed the, the best way to strengthen museums was to unite the field and find a way to pull every size and type of museum from every corner of the country and ultimately the globe sort of into our sphere, into the, the, the uh, United Museum community. Um, and the best way to do that was to reduce a lot of barriers and create different points of entry for you know, a very diverse field to engage with AAM, whether it's through membership or in the Continuum of Excellence or one of our other many programs. And so, you know, we we started, you're often, you often talk about thinking outside of the box, and, and for AAM at the time, the one of the most, I think, creative and um, integral uh, decisions to, that, that we made to really try to reinvent AAM was right center of the box. It was all about the, the membership. Um, and over the last couple of years uh, since doing that, there was almost, almost three years, it'll be three years in September, we have 
increased our museum membership by about 60%. Uh, we have uh, increased individual membership by about 40%, and we are more diverse than ever, welcoming more zoos and aquariums and children's museums and science centers and botanic gardens and really small museums of all shapes and sizes um, or all types into the, into the field and been able to offer, I think, more resources to, to more of the field. Um, financially, we went from showing a, a $4 million in accumulated operating, lo operating losses in the five years leading up to 2010 to, by the end of this year, we will have a um, $1 million in operating gains in the last five years. So it has been sort of a return to the core mission of the organization has um, sort of raised the alliance on on all um, on all levels, and the name change was really sort of the best uh, you know opportunity to rebrand an organization where we weren't just changing the name and the logo and the colors that we used on you know the same old organization, but we thought we were making all of these changes. Um, it was an opportunity to mark them with a different uh, a different name and a different look. And so that's why we decided to do that also at the same time. So it was a little nuts at some points, but, um, but I think uh, really fruitful for us to, um, to become the alliance and really reinforce that we're not a traditional association. Um, we are really about the cause of museums um, and really um, reinforcing among the fields that we are stronger together than, you know, united in all the different ways that, you know, you can divide up the, the field. So how, how we went about that is documented in a case study that we have on our website called The Reinvention of AAM. Um, Ford Bell and I thought it was so significant, this, this reinvention, that we really wanted it documented in the case study because we were already forgetting, you know, some of what happened. Um, and so thanks to our board chair during much of the transition, Doug Myers at the San Diego Zoo Global, uh, who underwrote a project to hire a reporter for, from the Boston Globe um, to write the case study, we were able to pull that together. And, you know, it required a lot of listening to the field and being out there in the field, not locked up in an office in D.C. Um, it required a lot of cultural change with the staff. And, it and with the board, and a strong board that allowed the organization to take some significant risks, because when we made that decision to significantly reduce our dues and um, restructure, you know, a lot of uh, of the um, membership and excellence programs, you know, we we put a couple of million dollars on the line. We were literally put our our money where our mouth was in creating an opportunity to unite the field. Um, and it took some significant investments in technology and in um, program, you know, redesign. But I'm really proud, you know, of the accomplishments, how far we've come, um, but also know that we have lots more to do. And I'm really looking forward to continuing to reinvent the alliance um, over the next uh, years and help to, you know, further help to unite and strengthen the field for a really bright future. Thank you very much for that background, and, and I am sure uh, listeners will want to, uh, if they haven't uh, found that case study on the website, to uh, to go back and look at it. I, I, I having 
lived through uh, your the uh, the reorganization as an as uh, as a member uh, as a, a, a committed member to the field. It is always any kind of change is is always greeted with a little trepidation, skepticism, uh, as well as hope for the future. And I think that it's important that we that we remember what those initial goals were. Just sort of as a as a follow up question, as you were doing your self reflection uh, as an organization, did you ever wonder whether the name museum needed to change? Yeah, you know, uh, it was, it was. We talked about all all three of the words in our logo: uh, the American, the museum, of course, the association, and uh, you know, we we did. We had lots of those discussions, and 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 continue to. But um, it was kind of convenient, wasn't it, that we could change our middle name but continue to stay the AAM, <laughs> and uh, um, but make a make a point about a new focus for the organization. Yes. No. I. I it. It. Uh, it makes perfectly logical sense. I. I just asked the question, frankly, because I too struggle uh, with with the uh, the name museum. I think that it certainly is something that uh, entre nous we all understand that that museum is defined in. Uh, in educational terms, in uh, free choice learning terms, and all sorts of other words that we use. It often, however, is not that well understood outside of our little world and the other parts of the cultural community. And I, you know, I think it's something that we're going to continue to, to struggle with, and perhaps it's something that AAM can lead us in uh, uh, defining ourselves more clearly outside of our immediate community. Yeah, I think that's an important point, Carol, and and, uh, I I do want to talk a little bit about our our advocacy work, which really is about helping people really understand what it is that museums do. It's it's often misunderstood. You're You're right. Well, but before we go there, and because I know that uh, uh, you'll want to share so much about uh, your various initiatives and what what you are bringing to the table, I'd like to just step back for a minute and uh, ask a, a perhaps a little more uh, personal question, and and that is, what is it like taking on a new role, you know, certainly the leadership role in an organization where you have already been uh, working for a while? How do you make that transition? It's been a really, uh, it's been a really interesting one. I have uh, been in my new position less than a month, so still figuring a lot of it out. I took over, of course, for our uh, great uh, retiring president, Ford Bell, on June first. Um, so just finishing up, I guess, my fourth week on the job. But having been here as the chief operating officer for for five years, almost five years, I. Yeah, I know the organization really well, both broadly and deeply because of the operational role. So I've been able to hit the ground running on especially a lot of the internal, just, you know, I knew where the ladies' room was, um, you know, had to reorganize the, uh, the, the staffing a little bit. But um, outside of a few open positions, I think we've got the right people in the right places, and I'm confident in that, you know, very early, obviously, in my, my president CEO tenure. Um, we started our strategic planning in earnest because I can 
you know, I, I have a, a, a sense of a lot of what I think needs to happen at AAM. Um, but it's still a transition to a completely different role. So I'm conscious of about raising my gaze to be, um, you know, much more about the field than about the organization. Um, I have to, you know, strengthen and learn lots of different skills and, and, and learning a lot more about, you know, the people and the, and the institutions that are, that are out there in our membership. So um, uh, to that end, I've gotten through the internal staff things sort of quickly and have been able to make contact with many in the field, a couple of museum conferences that I've already been able to attend, and um, almost 20 museums and directors I've been able to visit. Um, I uh, have established a, a Twitter presence. Please you know, follow me on at LotLaura. I'm, I'm both um, trying to share some information about what AAM and, and our partners are doing and also learn a lot about what else is going on out there. Um, and any transition is always a good time to sort of pause and to listen and to reflect on, on what's happening and where we're going. And that's what I've been doing, uh, sort of a listening tour um, and scheduling a lot of listening sessions this summer and, and fall as the sort of museum conference season kicks up. Um, my first official one will be at the Association of African-American Museums in August and um, throughout the fall at some of the other conferences I'll be at and also through social media. I really want to hear from our emerging museum professionals and thought leaders um, in the field to, to inform AM strategic plan, which we'll be working on over the next year. That's that's great. So um, it sounds as if you have been on the road as much as you've been in the office uh, for this these last sort of 30 days. It's true. It's true. Absolutely. And just um, for our listeners who may not uh, be as uh, intimately involved or, or following the uh, the transition as much as as, as I was, I, I would be remiss if I did not uh, point out that while you were the internal candidate, uh, AAM's board went through a significant and comprehensive uh, search uh, for the new executive director, and so I am sure that they they saw many interesting and valuable uh, candidates uh, for the position and, and chose you as the absolute best, uh, uh, not simply because you happen to be uh, in the area. And, and that is a testament uh, to, to your abilities and your insights as well. So again, let me just, uh, before we take our first break, uh, congratulate you, Laura, and uh, to, to, have, uh, to have a woman of uh, uh, in uh, such an important position also uh, helps all of us uh, who have been uh, working in, in this field uh, for such a long time. So welcome uh, and congratulations, Laura. Uh, and with that, we're going to take our first break. And when we come back, Laura is going to share with us uh, several of the key initiatives uh, that she will be spearheading in uh, the coming years with AAM. So stay tuned. We will be back in a moment. Uh, remember to uh, contact Laura on Twitter at at lot Laura also you can always send me a tweet I love to hear from you at at muse right and uh, also through uh, just old-fashioned email at carol.bossert at verizon.net so we will be back in a moment this is Carol Bossert for Museum Life stay tuned
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. The world we live in has become a crazy place. Poverty is at an all-time high in the wealthiest nation on Earth. We keep calling on government to save us with new programs. And now, we have more people using food stamps than any time in our history. This problem continues to get worse. The answer to poverty is in our homes, churches, and communities, and through our children. Get the answers from The Mickey Ellison Show, Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Are you ready for an Anything Goes hour-long foray into politics, pop culture, and societal tribulations? Then look no further than Between the Synapse with host Mark Tobin. Each show features nationally or internationally prominent guests discussing topics that go beyond the usual daily news, sometimes even way beyond. It's a weekly fast-paced hour that you won't want to miss. Call in to join the party. Between the Synapse airs live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, The Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bosser at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Museum Life. I'm Carol Bossert, and I am here today talking with Laura Lott, the new president and CEO of the American Alliance of Museums. And right before break, uh, Laura had been sharing with us some of the uh, things that she is hoping to accomplish in the uh, coming coming years, uh, how the alliance has moved from an association model to an alliance model to bring all museums together in a collective uh, with the understanding that strength in numbers and strength in understanding is uh, where we need to uh, to, to be uh, and, and move the organization. So Laura, uh, why don't you take this opportunity to share with us sort of the areas that you feel uh, AAM will, will be placing its emphasis in the coming years? Sure. So my my vision is for AAM to be the go-to place for the museum community to get inspired, uh, to get information, and to get some support in better positioning the 
museums of this country for the future, uh, serving increasing and, and increasingly diverse audiences, which is both, you know, a huge opportunity and, and challenge for our field. And there's many, many ways that we will be thinking about doing that, but three things in particular that I hope that uh, our strategic plan and, and, and AAM will, will be focusing on over the next couple of years are um, to strengthen AAM's role as a, as a thought leader and as a platform for thought leaders in the field to come together and discuss and share things that they're working on, things that are working, challenges that we need to face. Um, and this is building on a lot of the work of the Center for the Future of Museums, which, if you don't know, was started seven or eight years ago as a little bit of a skunk works um, project at AAM uh, to, you know, to see if uh, it was if it was of interest. And I think that the Beth Merritt, uh, the founding director, who I've just promoted to be one of uh, the VPs on, on my executive team here, um, has proven the concept that the Center for the Future of Museums is um, is needed, and uh, actually, one of our goals is to expand its capacity to do even more um, of the next step. So we do a lot of work in identifying trends and sort of calling things to the attention of the field. And I think the evolution that we will be looking at there will be doing more in the, you know, helping to museums to actually implement some experiments and some innovations in a, in a, in a safe way to, uh, to, to apply some of the trends that we think are, are coming in the world or some of the trends we see happening in the world that we think we're, we're, are going to stick. Um, we've recently set up a, a new fellowship for the Center for the Future of Museums uh, that's honoring uh, uh, Ford Bell on the occasion of his retirement. Um, and it's a second, um, it's a Ford W. Bell Fellowship for Museums and K-12 Education. And this is a fellowship model where we're able to identify people perhaps outside of the field, but with particular expertise related to the field, um, to really drill into a trend or an issue that we see, um, you know, needs some more work in, in the field. And in this one, it's, it's really about the future of K-12 education in the U.S. and how museums can better position themselves to be um, uh, not just informal providers of learning, which seems to diminish their role, but really core educational resources for uh, students in the, in the future. And so um, our new fellowship uh, is, is raising money right now for, for that. We, we're actually fortunate enough to receive a challenge grant, so we have a few more days. I have to mention, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, we have a few more days for uh, contributions from the field to be matched by the grant. Um, information on that is available on our website. But this is a model, I think, that we'll be using in other uh, areas as well uh, to really help us drill into some of those trends and, and work with museums and their communities to, to apply them and take those you know, learnings to the to the rest of the field. That's very interesting. Um, I I just want a, a, a little bit of a follow up question to make sure that I that I under, understand when you're talking about how uh, AAM uh, perhaps will strengthen its role as um, perhaps a thought leader itself in uh, encouraging museums to experiment and take risks. 
is is uh, sort of uh, bridging the gap between theory and practice. Do I understand that that's, correctly? Yeah, that's exactly right, Carol. It's a good way to put it. We're we're thinking about uh, all sorts of models from being able to uh, incubate some innovation, you know, through an innovation lab, some some experiments. Uh, again, I think you know, especially with with limited resources, uh, innovation and experimentation can be pretty scary, and, and failure is scary. And I think what um, the Center for the, for the Future Museums can do is what a lot of what it's done for AAM, which is be a little bit of a um, a safe place to 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 innovate and to experiment and be okay with failing a good percentage of the time, actually, because if you know we're not failing enough, we're not uh, probably innovating enough. And so I'd like to see the center. Um, really help lead that um, and lead specific opportunities uh, with museums and thought leaders in the field to um, to try things out and to share what works, what doesn't work, some lessons learned, and really um, you know propel us forward in a couple of key areas. You know that that uh, I I agree with you. I think is so incredibly important. Let me take a moment to congratulate uh, Elizabeth. Uh, I too know her as Beth uh, uh, on her promotion. I I think that she is, as you say, she's sort of taken something that uh, she was given and turned it into something that that is very tangible and worthwhile for all of us. Uh, but you you have uh, identified something that is of critical concern to me as I watch uh, my clients and, and museums around the country struggling to uh, shape an idea uh, and get it to the point that it might be a fundable idea. Uh, there seems to be very little uh, opportunity for museums to tap into that kind of, of R&D research. So it sounds as if that's something that AAM is going to try to uh, support and provide. I think that's wonderful and, and very, very needed. Great. Well, thanks. Uh, uh, we I'm looking forward to uh, to working with the field to sort of figure that out. That's that's the direction we're moving. And then the second thing um, that I really hope that we'll be working on is we have an opportunity to uh, further diversify our museum community and broaden our perspectives as museum professionals by engaging more internationally. So if you've been to the AAM annual meeting recently, you know that it has uh, become um, increasingly uh, internet an inter international um, meeting uh, with folks from all over the world uh, attending and so offering access to things like the annual meeting and AM's other resources and connections with US museums to our international colleagues I think is a, is a really critical role for uh, AAM to to look into. Um, one example of the type of program we're looking to offer in this area is an upcoming meeting that we have in Buenos Aires, Argentina in September called Reimagining the Museum uh, Conference of the Americas. And it's really a first-of-its-kind convening of museum professionals from uh, Latin America and North America um, to talk about the transformation of museums and museum leaders to um, better meet the changing needs of their communities. Uh, we're thinking uh, this will bring together about 400 visionaries and changemakers from across the Americas to discuss the challenges that they're facing, to share examples of innovation, and really just to foster some cross-cultural, you know, learning and collaboration. So uh, 
that we that kind of programming that really is uh, an exchange, a cultural exchange, is something that um, we're looking to uh, bring to our U.S. museum members. I think that's very interesting, yes, and I was just hearing about the conference recently from several of my colleagues in the museum group who are going to be uh, participating in that. Uh, I'm sorry I won't be able to uh, to get away to Ar Argentina and hear them, but I'm sure that those uh, programs will be disseminated broadly. I, and just, again, to be clear, um, because I know many of us have been working internationally uh, in the museum world, it it is not simply that uh, museums from around the world can learn from us, but that we can learn significant lessons, particularly, I think, about museums and community involvement from museums from uh, around the world. Oh, I think that that's absolutely right. Absolutely right, Carol. It's a, it's a, it's a true uh, cross-pollinization. So it's sounding to me as, the, as if we as uh, AAM members can also look forward to, uh, uh, to more international uh, programming and, uh, and, and collaborations that, uh, that are available perhaps through the AAM conference and perhaps more international speakers. Yes, uh, through the conference, and then I think throughout the, you know, all of the other resources that AAM provides, whether it's uh, examples or case studies in our in our magazine, in other workshops and um, programming that we'll offer throughout the year, we're hoping to really just offer a richer perspective um, of museum practice from from around the world, um, and opportunities to engage, you know, one on one or in small groups with um, our colleagues abroad. Um, that's great. Now, I'm, I, again, as a follow-up, I think I would be remiss, uh, particularly uh, in light of, of several of the uh, interviews that I've had on the show, uh, guests uh, talking about uh, diversity uh, within the United States and the uh, uh, critical challenge uh, that we face as a cultural community uh, to diversify our membership, our boards, and our uh, our staffs, and of course, Portia Moore has reminded us that diversity is often simply a code word for those people that don't look like us, uh, you know, people who are different, and perhaps we, we all need to find a, a, a little better vocabulary. But I'm wondering in uh, this issue of uh, diversifying our uh, museums and our, our approach, it, will there be uh, some efforts that continue? to develop to help museums uh, expand uh, and, and become more representative of their own communities here in the U.S.? Yes, I, I think it's, uh, and what I've heard in my early days of, of listening to museum professionals from around the country, um, it's one of, if not the most critical issue for museums to really address over the next, um, well, immediately and over the next several decades. Um, and I think AAM needs to be at the forefront of, of helping with that, uh, with that effort and woven into diversity and inclusion in all of its various aspects. And I agree the vocabulary may be a place to, to, to start. 
but it needs to be woven into uh, everything that we do, uh, everything that AM does, and ultimately everything that museums do as well. So I am looking forward to AM taking a strong leadership role with many of the um, folks in the field who are already working on this to uh, to really uh, both lead the discussion uh, with museum leaders across the country on how uh, on the importance of uh, you know putting this this issue. Um, front and center of our work and and the importance of doing that, and then how, and helping museums figure out what's working um, in certain places where it, where it, where it is happening more successfully than others. Um, you know, AAM, pa our board passed a diversity and inclusion policy about a year ago, and we have uh, since then been uh, hard at work here on staff to um, to, to, to talk with the field about what's needed and to start compiling, you know, plans and resources that um, will, you know, we'll be pursuing over the next couple of years in this area. That's, uh, that's great to hear. And uh, I'm assuming that some of those things are also eventually going to uh, trickle through the accreditation documents as well. Uh, that would be our hope with the accreditation program, that it's a, a really evolutionary program and, and, and one of continuous sort of improvement and, and not something that we let sort of sit for 40 years before we re reinvent again. So, um, yeah, that would definitely be uh, part of the ultimate goal. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, I um, you have those are two initiatives. I know you have uh, several others. Yeah, the, the, the third one and, and really the um, probably the last major thing that I want to talk about today is, um, uh, you know, Cornerstone of AAM is really its advocacy efforts. And I, I mean that broadly, not just here in D.C., but the uh, tools and resources that we provide to museums to advocate for themselves at the state and local levels uh, with government officials, but also with those partners um, that we can uh, partnerships that we can create with related set organizations dealing in related sectors, such as um, K-12 and travel and tourism and technology and even health and mental health organizations. And this is, goes back to one of the things that we talked about earlier in the show, Carol, about um, you know the the ongoing work that AM needs to be doing in. Um, changing the perception of many of what museums do. So um, Richard Curran over at the Smithsonian, uh, I think we've quoted a couple of times as saying, you know, people think we just hang art on walls and, you know, don't realize that one of the largest astrophysicists um, labs is in is in is part of the Smithsonian and all of the research work that museums are doing and of course their core education work, um, not to mention their economic contributions to the areas that they're in. So um, we have much uh, much to be there's much to be done to ensure that you know decision makers uh, here in Washington and elsewhere you know understand that and protect the vital role of museums and not see them as amenities or things that we can just turn to and cut or put on hold when economic times get tough, but um, that that's you know a short-sighted approach and, and that uh, museums are vital to vibrant communities. Um, there's lots of new people here in Washington to, um, to, to make that case with. We had, I think, the largest um, freshman class of, of, of congressmen and women and senators join, uh, come to Washington this past January. In a little over a year, we'll have a new administration. We have new heads of NEA and NEH, and hopefully IMLS will be confirmed soon. So lots of, 
lots of new faces here to um, to really cultivate, as well as ongoing relationships to continue to strengthen. That's uh, thank you very much. I want to delve into uh, uh, the advocacy area a little bit more. Uh, it, as you say, it is so vitally important here in Washington, uh, as well as as throughout the country. But I think before I do, we will go ahead and take our second break. Uh, remember, please follow Laura on uh, Twitter at uh, Laura. I think it's fabulous that she has made herself so available and is a good. Uh, sign that uh, the uh, CEO of a major organization is taking the time uh, to reach out to us and be available on social media. Of course, you can always reach me there as well uh, and um, let me know what, what you think about this show and what we need to be talking about because, as Laura said, this is the only uh, talk show that is focused on museum issues and it is a show that uh, is, is for you, for my colleagues and for the field. We will be back in a moment. Uh, this is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Stay tuned. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Close with Chris Tinney is now on Voice America Variety. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, Chris brings you the thought leaders, activists, and socially responsible entrepreneurs taking action for the environment, doing business in a new way, and helping the underprivileged. Call in or listen in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, and learn how the small decisions you make today have a big impact on our small planet in the future. Tune in to Up Close with Chris Tinney on the Voice America Variety Channel. How do you achieve the utmost success in your life, career, faith, relationships, and more? It's all here in the business of living with host Scott Ventrella. Scott has experience as an executive coach, sought-after speaker, and lecturer. He and his guests will offer practical solutions and strategies to help you move to the next level of success, no matter where you are in your life and career. The Business of Living airs live every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert uh, for Museum Life. And today I have been talking with Laura Lott, uh, the new CEO and president of the American Alliance of Museums. And before break, uh, Laura was sharing with us her three uh, broad areas of uh 
of uh, emphasis for the coming year, which is uh, certainly promoting and expanding AAM's capabilities in sort of R&D following uh, the work that's been done by the Center of the Future of Museums, uh, a, a very significant diversity initiative, both diversity in terms of uh, our own uh, increasing uh, the uh, demographic here in the in uh, this country as well as internationally and collaborating and learning from each other on a global scale and the third area that we talked about right before we went on break uh, Lori was sharing with us AAM's advocacy role and uh, of course and Laura, you mentioned that this is a very broad, uh, broad way of looking at advocacy. But you know, I I think many of us in the field, unfortunately, only see AAM's advocacy role once a year when we get a call to uh, come to Washington and meet with our our congressional representatives, which does seem like a good idea. But I think that that may sort of skew our perception of what AAM is asking us to do in terms of uh, advocacy. It sort of sounds like lobbying, and uh, some of us are uncomfortable with that. So I thought this might be a good opportunity for you to set the record straight and help us understand uh, the importance of that advocacy uh, uh, task, as well as, as how that fits into the broader um, uh, advocacy mission. Sure. Thank you for that. Uh, I So Advocacy to us is really about um, telling the real stories of what's happening in museums and, and offering decision makers of all different types. So, uh, you know, Congress is, of course, the focus of our Museums Advocacy Day, but the focus of our work in, in lots of the, you know, areas the rest of the year are uh, decision makers in uh, philanthropy, in uh, education, in, you know, at the, you know, in government at the state and local levels. And so um, it really is, uh, in, in the case of museums, uh, really storytelling. It's a lot about changing the perceptions of, you know, the assumptions people have about, you know, what museums are doing and who they're serving. And we, we always say one of the best uh, advocacy uh, activities that a museum can do is to invite uh, a, a decision maker, uh, again, you know, local uh, or a, a federal uh, congressman or, or senator to to their museum um, on a day when not at the not necessarily at the big gala, um, but on a, no, a normal museum day to see the energy and the excitement and the children and the families and the you know veterans and others who are being served by our institutions, and so. We've created a couple of different focused efforts for that, including our, our um, invite your legislator uh, to your museum in, in August. We have designated a week to do that when most of the legislators are back home in their home districts, and in you know in an and in an election year, looking for opportunities to to you know engage in in things that are um, you know to be visible and to engage in things that are uh, good news stories, which museums often offer. So, but that that effort can you know can be happening year round, and and part of what I see our role being at AAM is to um, create some tools and some general awareness for uh, folks in the field about what what can work and what can be really powerful, and to share the stories of museum professionals who are doing this kind of um, storytelling with decision makers and advocacy to uh, you know encourage more to see the power in it. Um, 
The other thing I wanted to mention is that AAM, you know, largely a lot of our advocacy alerts and and internet, you know, and and, and national um, focus is on making sure that the federal agencies here in Washington that that offer grant funds to museums, such as the Institute of Museum and Library Services um, and the National Endowment for the Humanities and the National Endowment for the Arts, are all funded, and they've all been under attack, you know, recently as as the government struggles with a, a budget balancing problem. Um, we are, you know, one of the um, most important organizations in the cultural sector to really fight for those institutions who oftentimes can't, you know, lo- lobby or, or advocate for themselves. And so that is a focus of what we do. But we are also right now working with, um, you know, our uh, uh, the, the um, folks in Illinois on um, trying to make sure that the governor there and the decision makers uh, don't make a short-sighted mistake by closing the state system um, in order to, you know, uh, you know, as a very tiny part of closing the $4 billion budget gap they have there. Um, and so we work with, you know, individual museums and museum systems and, and other advocates for museums locally to, uh, to, to come in when there's a, a critical threat such as that. Uh, thank you, Laura. I think that that helps uh, helps us a, a great deal, and and I uh, agree that uh, the uh, the national organization can provide a great deal of leadership in providing tools in helping organizations. Uh, uh, do work at their grassroots level as well as uh, representing them here in uh, D.C. I I am always sensitive to the fact that uh, living inside the Beltway, we sometimes think we're the only game in town. But uh, every every museum has its own grassroots needs and grassroots politics that uh, that need to be attended to. I I wanted to just follow up also on something else you had said when you were talking about advocacy earlier and and. Uh, uh, in sort of broad brush strokes, you were saying that it also includes advocacy and development in K through 12 education, but also in in health and uh, mental health services. And I think that that is uh, uh, perhaps something that is becoming increasingly important. Uh, it, it becomes a necessary. Uh, Part, it it move it may move our cultural organizations from just nice places to visit to essential places for our uh, society's well-being. Uh, could you just say a little bit more about that? Sure. Uh, a year or two ago, we did a report uh, called Museums Do That, and it was about museums in healthcare uh, with a series of case studies of museums across the country that are dealing with um, and addressing the needs of everything from children with on the autism spectrum by having, you know, special hours where the museum isn't as crowded and the lights are dim and it's more accessible to, to those students to, um, you know, to this year we honored uh, one of our great American museum advocates was a, uh, a, a veteran who is uh, uh, getting some of his sort of returning, you know, his post, his post-traumatic stress um, treatment really at a botanic garden in um, in, in Illinois, and so there's um, there are you know wide ranges of things that are already happening um, among in many museums to address uh, you know like I said health and 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 mental health issues that our country faces, and I agree with you they're they're huge. Um, 
you know, opportunities to, to do even more of that and, and, in, and in a variety of social issues. So I throw out, you know, health and, and mental health as one, but um, there are many other programs that are addressing, you know, a variety of societal ills. And in, in many cases, museums are picking up uh, this the slack, frankly, from governments that have, you know, cut budgets and cut out some of this vital programming for their communities. Interesting. That is very interesting. Uh, uh, and and thank you for sharing those things. I think it's giving all of us uh, a broader uh, picture of what AAM uh, has been doing for us. Perhaps we weren't really noticing. And uh, it gives us, uh, me in particular, a, a, a very strong uh, vision of where you will be taking uh, the organization in the future. It sounds very exciting. So I'd like to shift gears back to you. And uh, while this may seem like a little bit of a throwaway question, I think that it, it will help us get a little bit more insight into you as, a, as an individual of, and a personality. So I got to ask you, what is your favorite museum? <laughs> my favorite museum? I can pick among my, my, my uh, favorite among my children. <laughs> okay, okay, um, okay. Well, I'll make it easier for you then. Give me, and it doesn't have to be your all-time favorite, but give me one of your favorite museum memories. Sure. Um, well, I will say that I'm a, I'm a private pilot, so in my spare time I, I do have a, a love for airplanes, and so I, I, I do tend to gravitate towards uh, uh, aviation and all sorts of uh, 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 um, transportation and, and science kinds of museums, but um, my favorite story is actually about um, my daughter's one of my daughter's first museum experiences. So I'm the mom to a little girl who will be three in September, and uh, I'm so grateful for the opportunity that she has to sort of grow up in museums over uh, the next uh, over the past couple of years and the next few years as well, but I'll never forget taking her to the San Francisco Zoo, actually. She was just a baby, um, about 18 months old, and I could almost see the light bulb go on in her head when she saw a giraffe um, and realized that that animal with the very long neck we had been reading about over and over and over again in her Elmo Goes to the Zoo book um, was that giraffe that was standing right there in front of us. And um, even still today, it's been a year and a half almost since that experience, um, when she comes across a giraffe in one of her books or one of her toys, she says this big proud, with this big proud grin, she says, Sienna saw a giraffe. Um, and it just really crystallized for me um, that importance of providing access to real animals or objects and places um, and how powerful that is because uh, that real learning can't really incur occur without first being um, open and, and being inspired. And museums can do both that ins inspiring part as well as the teaching part better than I think anyone. Uh, that's a great story, Laura, and thank you uh, so much for sharing sharing a story that to me also epitomizes the power of museums and that's as uh, parents or, or uh, caregivers to children when we have an opportunity to share one of those uh, life-changing moments. Uh, that, is, that is to me uh, priceless and it's what keeps me doing what I continue to do in museums is to create uh, safe and memorable places for uh, parents and children. 
Um, can you, in our last few minutes, can you just give us a little hint of uh, the uh, what the AAM conference next? Uh, let's see, uh, in May of of uh, 2016, the conference will be here in Washington D.C. Uh, can you give us any uh, sneak peeks? Sure. So the yeah, we're very excited for the first time in I think over 30 years to host our annual meeting here in our hometown in Washington, um, May 26th through 29th of 2006, and um, it's actually a different uh, sort of configuration than our last few meetings. It will be uh, a Wednesday night through a, a Sunday morning meeting, and it's leading into the Memorial Day weekend here in Washington, which I know you, Carol, can as a local can attest is a, is a really special time here in Washington. And so um, we are expecting probably one of our largest meetings ever um, to to um, and to provide opportunities for people to perhaps bring their families and their children um, to them with with uh, to to the. W- with them to the meeting, um, and to take advantage of a lot of what the nation's capital has to offer, uh, especially on that important weekend of remembrance. Um, we are still working with our local um, host leaders here to uh, to finalize, you know, the the actual theme. But we are, um, I think, really heard a, a strong call from those who were in Atlanta um, about the, the the value of museums and as social change agents that we focused on in Atlanta. And so um, we, I think, are looking at continuing that discussion in some way. And maybe since we're here in a major powerful city of Washington, um, talking about the power and influence and responsibility that comes with power um, uh, that museums have in being um, uh, change agents for the uh, and and agents of social change in in the country and around the world and um, and talking about empowering people through our collections and through access to the information and and collections that museums have um, and also really thinking about um, memory given um, the, the the timing related to Memorial Day and and the power in how we remember certain um, activities and, and experiences in history. Well, that sounds uh, like there there is a great deal of p- potential there, and it's going to be exciting to see how that uh, comes about. We have run out of time today, which is very common in these very important conversations. Laura, thank you so much again. Congratulations on your uh, new position, and we will be following you with great excitement uh, And uh, as you lead uh, AAM into its next uh, iteration. Uh, thank you for being on the show today. Thanks, Carol. And we will be back next week with another edition of Museum Life. Thank you for listening. This is Carol Bossert. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net.